Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in career development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and in addition to podcasting, I'm a leadership coach, a best-selling author, a keynote speaker, and a mastermind facilitator. In fact, this episode is brought to you by PMA's Mastermind Leadership Program, which is accepting applications right now for the 2023 summer and fall cohorts. We are building a wonderful community of senior nonprofit leaders from across the country who are just like you, and they were ready to define their path to nonprofit leadership. If you'd like to learn more, go to patmcdowell.com for more information. Well, speaking of dynamic nonprofit leaders, you're going to enjoy this conversation with Aaron Randolph, who is the co-founder and executive director of Carolina Youth Coalition, a nonprofit that nurtures high-achieving but under-resourced students to and through college. Well, in addition to learning more about the great work Aaron's doing, you're also going to come away with some practical takeaways that can expand your leadership capabilities. Aaron experienced what I'd call the triple crown of new leadership. He was a new leader himself, starting a new organization and doing it in a new community. Well, if you haven't already, you're likely going to experience one of those three new leadership experiences at some point in your journey. And Aaron's got some great advice to help you no matter where you are on the path to nonprofit leadership. Don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode. It's number 203. Just go to the podcast page at pattonmcdowell.com for all of the resources mentioned, as well as more information on Aaron and the great work he's doing at Carolina Youth Coalition. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Aaron Randolph. Aaron, thank you for joining me on the path. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. I'm excited about this conversation, Aaron. You literally accomplished the triple crown of nonprofit leadership. You are a new leader in a new community, starting a new organization. It, it leads to maybe the obvious question, how'd you do that? What was the what was the biggest challenge as you brought together all those new elements to form the organization you now lead? Absolutely. I think on, on the first piece of the triple crown, uh, being a new leader, I think that was a uh, and still is a, a transition, um, particularly not just in the amount of responsibility and, and workload that I have, but I think just in terms of mindset uh, going from um, it's one thing to work in a nonprofit. It's another thing to lead a nonprofit. And so as I've gotten more comfortable in my role um, in terms of thinking through strategy and decision making um, and looking at our organization, uh, not just in the present, uh, which is very easy to do and get bogged down in running a nonprofit that's very busy, but also thinking through, you know, where are we headed and what is our long term vision? And so I think for me, um, being a new leader, um, that piece I, I, I struggled with. Right. And especially when you're in a small nonprofit, you're in a startup, you have um, I was wearing I'm still wearing a lot of hats. But at, the, <laughs> right. at that point, you're running programs, you're running operations, finances, and handling the board, et cetera. And so it's, it's how do you um, get the work done and get the mission work done, but also sort of find time and headspace to really think through strategy 
um, and how you want the organization to grow and develop uh, long term. On the second piece, I think in terms of coming to a new city, um, I would I give Charlotte a lot of credit and a lot of kudos just in terms of it is a very or has been to me a very welcoming city from a professional aspect. So right. um, I, I came from Baton Rouge, Louisiana to Charlotte in 2017, um, had a great time in Baton Rouge and I, I loved um, my time there. But I think um, that's a place where social and professional networks are very much um, held together with strong, deep ties, right? And so if you're not from that area, you didn't go to school there, et cetera, um, it's a little bit harder to break into where Charlotte, I think, is a place where um, not only is there a lot of newcomers, but I think just the ethos of the city is if there's someone that wants to come here and have an impact and wants to work hard and make this a better city for all of us, um, people are generally open to hearing what you have to say. Yeah, and that's great so, to hear. I credit, um, you know, I have a co-founder, Catherine Kassam, who's um, been more than instrumental in, in helping us get to this point. Um, but we've had a lot of, um, I'll call them champions throughout the Charlotte community, um, influential leaders, um, folks who um, have just taken taken to our organization and have been willing to open doors for us and uh, to make sure that our name is mentioned in the right conversations and at the right table. Right. Uh, so th that that piece, I, I think, especially I'm, I'm blessed to have that, but I also learned just the importance of that in terms of of networking and putting yourself um, in the best position possible, not just from the work that you're doing, but in terms of how people see you and um, who is talking about you and where they're speaking about you um, at. There's real strategic networking in there, and you have obviously managed that extremely well. And well, before I love what you're describing, and I think it's familiar to many of our listeners who, particularly new leaders, and, and as you described it, you, you're just trying to get through the next day, much less think strategically, right, about the next month and year and multiple years. But before we go and unpack that, talk about Carolina Youth Coalition for our listeners not familiar, maybe Aaron, with that organization. Tell them what it is. Absolutely. So Carolina Youth Coalition is an education-based nonprofit here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, our mission is to nurture and propel high-achieving, under-resourced students to and through college. Uh, our organization is patterned after uh, a similar organization in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, that I had the opportunity to work for, the Baton Rouge Youth Coalition. Uh, and essentially what we do is partner with uh, communities, uh, schools, and other nonprofits to identify students who show um, academic promise but um, have high financial need or the first in their family to attend college. And we provide them with a, a free um, full continuum of services and programs that begin uh, ninth grade um, through 12th grade with the goal of helping them identify, matriculate to, and have a responsible plan to pay for a best fit college. Uh, and then we have a persistence program that follows those students as they transition to college and then as they matriculate through college as well, with the goal of ensuring that um, not only do they survive, but that they thrive during their college experience, right. um, take advantage of all the opportunities to um, build social capital in a network outside of the classroom, and ultimately that they leave college with strong prospects for either entering the workforce or postgraduate studies. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. And we'll talk more about it because you've not only uh, built a wonderful organization, but you collaborate 
throughout the kind of educational systems within this region, and, and which I think, of course, there are leadership components that you have maximized very, very well. But let me go back to your journey, I guess, early stage journey. When did you know you wanted to get into nonprofit leadership? Was that a clear goal early on or is it kind of evolved? Uh, it, it, it's funny you ask that. I would say um, it has. N- it, it was never a necessarily clear goal that I had. And I, I chuckle a little bit because I think back to my first uh, nonprofit job at the Baton Rouge Youth Coalition. Um, and I was coming from uh, the classroom. I just finished my second year teaching social studies. Uh, at a middle school there. And um, the executive director asked me, and this was the first of a couple conversations we had. Um, he asked me on my first day of work um, if I ever saw myself potentially leading a nonprofit. Um, and my answer, my answer at that point was a resounding no. <laughs> um, and there was two things that I, I wasn't comfortable with and didn't have experience with, frankly, at that time. And it was managing people, right. managing managing other adults. Um, and fundraising. And those were the two things that I looked at and I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. And if that's what nonprofit leadership looks like, it may not, it may not be for me. <laughs> but um, you, you excelled in the classroom and was that kind of the original path that you might be an educator? A- absolutely. I, I think, I'm, um, I think I did well as a teacher. Um, and, and honestly, when I think about what gave me the confidence when the opportunity presented itself to start a nonprofit and and to grow it in what it is today, I think there's, to me, um, there are very few jobs that are more difficult than teaching um, and and educating young people. And I had middle school, so I I especially think that's probably the hardest stage to teach. So having gone through that and done it fairly successfully, I, I kind of approached this chapter as, it can't be any more difficult <laughs> than what <laughs> I middle school. Yeah. I teach in middle school. But but there was a, honestly a lot of lessons that I think I learned from the classroom that were applicable when I transitioned into nonprofit work and um, probably that I still carry with me uh, today. Well, I was going to ask you about that. And, and again, I have great respect. My mother was a teacher. And in fact, I had my undergraduate degree was in education. And mm-hmm. while I went down a slightly different path with Special Olympics, um, there is a lot of, I guess, leadership involved in, in the classroom. I, I do some of those, I guess, is there an example where you talk about managing a, a middle school classroom and the curriculum and the planning or what of those elements or experiences do you think best serve you now? I think the biggest um, sort of transferable skill that I took from teaching, um, great classrooms have great culture. And I think that's true of any organization or any body of people. Great sports teams have great culture. Great workplaces have great culture. Um, Great companies have great culture. And And so for me, um, I was fortunate. I, I did a graduate program at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. And, and during that time, I had um, the privilege of doing my student teaching under um, a phenomenal um, educator, um, Kristen Almquist at Chelsea High School, that I learned a lot about not just sort of the, uh, I guess, pedagogical techniques of being a great teacher, but what it meant to build relationships and what it meant to build culture. Um, and I think that 
a focus on those two aspects in particular are something that are always at the forefront of my mind now as we're building an organization. It's it, how do I build relationships, obviously, with our stakeholders and community, with our donors, um, definitely with our staff and with the students and families that we serve. Um, but also, what is the what is the culture of our organization and how does that breed? Uh, how does that breed success and how would that create an environment? Um, where our organization can thrive. And I, I think about um, how we do that often. That's probably the number one thing on my mind, particularly as we grow. Um, how do you maintain that culture and how do you um, sort of scale that as you add new people into the mix? Oh, well, it leads to that exact question because you're right. I hear that kind of culture and fit and other elements that are somewhat intangible. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things you do to maintain the culture? Because you've built a strong one. So as you bring new people in and you grow, are there certain things you do to kind of assure that culture is not lost? Yeah, I think the big thing that a lot of young organizations struggle with and something that we are, um, we haven't mastered it by any means, but that we're working on is, I think you have to write it down. Um, I know there's a hesitancy sometimes um, to not want to be, um, you know, like corporations sometimes have this, reputation for maybe having core values and they're kind of just cheesy sayings that are <laughs> right. marketing, marketing assets, right? Right. Um, but for us, I, I really feel like like our, our core values, um, which we have five, uh, community growth, excellence, empowerment, uh, and openness. And those are written on the walls in our building. Um, we name our end of year awards for students. We don't have like a student of the year or most improved. We have a core value named after, um, or we have an award named after those different core values. Our um, performance competencies and how we assess our um, employees' performance are tied to our core values. Nice. Um, and so I, I think from there, it's that, and that's because it's written down, because it's plainly um, articulated, it's easy to bring someone into the fold and say, hey, here's what the expectations are. Um, here's how we operate. Here's how we do things. Um, and it's also, you know, when you're looking for talent as well and trying to attract people to your organization, um, it, it makes it a little bit easier to identify who will be a good fit because you have an idea of uh, really what the culture and environment you're trying to build is, build yep. in, and yep. you can see how people's way of operating or belief system aligned with that or, or does not align with that. That's fantastic examples. So your core values are not just kind of poetry on the website or in some manual, but you literally incorporating them into Did I hear it correctly? Kind of almost your your evaluation. In other words, your yeah, your right. team so, are evaluated on these things, right? Yeah. So our um our core competence, and I think most organizations have some sort of like professional competencies, right? But ours right. are Ours are sort of grouped in terms of alignment with particular core values. Um, and so we're still definitely building out sort of the HR aspect of our organization. But I, I think um, one of the things that does is it puts a focus on not just the what of we're, what we're doing, but the how. And I think in terms of scaling and growing, the how is often overlooked and is a very important part of maintaining that that culture. 
Yeah, I, I'm delighted you lift that up and you're intentional about it. And I think that's a key takeaway for other aspiring leaders. Um, again, when you were in that aspiring leadership stage, Aaron, it uh, sounds like you had good kind of mentors, uh, the the person in, in Baton Rouge that encouraged you. You also had some fantastic undergraduate and graduate programs. Were there other resources, I guess, that helped you early on? Absolutely. So it's interesting because while I um, while working at the Baton Rouge Youth Coalition after teaching was my first, I guess, full time job in a, in a nonprofit um, in high school, um, I had the opportunity to work for several years at our local Boys and Girls Club. Um, and then when I was in college, I had a chance to work at the YMCA. Um, and I also had a chance to be a mentor for uh, through another nonprofit there in Ithaca called the Ithaca Youth Bureau. And so I guess little did I know I was getting some sort of introduction and um, exposure to the nonprofit world um, without really thinking that that would end up being my career path later on. Um, one of the experiences that was really transformative for me, um, in addition to so I did my undergraduate at, at Cornell University. Um, I majored in American studies and um, my my academic concentration there specifically was on on race and ethnicity. And so I'm, I'm grateful for that because I, I think a lot of the content that we covered in those classes, I think is definitely applicable, um, not only to my work leading a nonprofit, but particularly you think as a leader who's leading a nonprofit over the last three years and what our um, society and country has had to reckon with in terms right. of race and and issues related to uh, equality. And so I'm grateful for that sort of academic background. Um, after college, I did an AmeriCorps year uh, with a program called City Year. It's a national, well, international nonprofit that um, deploys recent high school and college graduates as tutors and mentors and um, I need schools around the country and a couple sites um, around the world. Um, that was really transformative for me because I, I got a chance to experience what it was like to work in a school uh, on one hand, but also um, being a part of this nonprofit and, and back to the culture piece. Right. Uh, City Year is is very notorious for having it. it it's almost um, I won't say overcultured, but um, <laughs> you know when you're at a city year function um literally so down to we had to wear a uniform a red jacket piece uh which as a 22 year old recent college graduate is not the uh, sexiest thing to be wearing <laughs> ideal right? fashion that was not on your fashion list right no but looking back on it now I, I get it right so it's it's recognition and and branding and marketing and um when people saw the red jacket they knew um, okay, that's a city year core member. And so um, I picked up a lot of things from that city year experience um, that I, I bring with me uh, as well. One, one of those, we had a, a handbook called the um, Idealist Handbook, and it had um, a great collection of just like stories. And it was almost like our, our Bible, if you will. You yeah, about yeah. It had different... Um, quotes for motivation and different uh, stories in it um, and different sort of um, passages about 
how to live out the core values. And so I got a chance to see that as like, okay, this is like a scaled up organization. Um, this is what this looks like when you have 25 sites around the world, I think is what they had at the time. And so that gave me some exposure there. And um, I'm grateful that all of those things eventually um, led up and contributed to sort of my foundation be before taking on leading an organization. Well, clearly you put it into practice too. And I, I like the fact you emphasize the putting it in writing, right? It's one thing to talk about it, but it sounds like that organization and yours now is intentional about putting some of these core values in writing so that they can be replicated, right? And be oriented to new people and so forth. Um, well, let me ask you back to the Triple Crown. And you came into the Charlotte community. You knew, I guess, from Baton Rouge and your other experiences that a concept like Carolina Youth Coalition could be successful. But talk about some of the steps you took at that first stage to see, you know, if this organization could succeed in a new community. Absolutely. I, I think the first thing that we did and was a very wise decision, we didn't just start out with saying, OK, hey, we know this pro program worked in Louisiana. Um, we have some backing potentially. Let's just start the organization and throw ourselves on the Charlotte community. Um, we did a, a four months needs assessment uh, when we first got to Charlotte. Um, one to just introduce ourselves to the community, but particularly to take feedback from uh, I interviewed students, teachers, uh, school administrators, district officials, uh, other nonprofit leaders to really get a lay of the land in Charlotte um, and also to assess, like, is this actually needed in Charlotte? Um, because I, I think there are there's a lot of conversation, especially here, and I'm, not, I'm sure this is not specific to Charlotte, but the first thing people will tell you about Charlotte in the philanthropic space is there's too many nonprofits, right? Yeah, so exactly. What you don't want to do is just duplicate something that's already out there or that there isn't necessarily a particular need for. Fortunately for us, what came out of that um, needs assessment was um, an overwhelming sort of yes in terms of this program um, would be beneficial to our community. And we came in, you know, I think timing is everything sometimes too. So we came in right at the height of a lot of the community's conversations around um, this is a couple years after the Chetty study, but yep, uh, yep. right after the leading on opportunity task force report on, OK, how do we move forward uh, with closing this economic mobility gap within our community? And, and so we came in at a time where that was at the forefront of um, everyone's focus. And we have we have a program and an organization that lends itself well to that particular effort. Um, so we did that. And, and I think from that, what was critical as well is from that needs assessment, um, I made a lot of just connections and relationships, um, but also we were able to identify, OK, there's a need for us somewhere in Charlotte. But where do we where do we start and where do we sort of plant our flag? And then more importantly, like who do we work with, align ourselves with, partner with, um, knowing that there's work that's already being done? Um, and that there are other nonprofits whose work maybe can amplify our mission or that we can amplify theirs. And so I, I think identifying those partners was a crucial part of that needs assessment as well. And um, once we decided to launch in February of 2018, 
um, we were able to move forward with a lot of those relationships that we had established during the needs assessment. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. And again, one, you're right. I bet in any community where someone's listening right now, there is probably some talk about, do we have too many nonprofits? You know, too many, mm-hmm. particularly doing the same thing. And and then eventually the funders in that community start saying, yeah, why are we giving money to three organizations doing the same thing? So you beat them to that question, right? And said, no, we've done an assessment. And I, and I guess, Aaron, you're continuing to evaluate the needs assessment, which I guess reinforces the purpose of your organization to start with. Yeah, it's a continual process. I, I think um, one of the things it did for funders was to let them know, hey, yeah, we, we've done our research, right? So yeah. um, the college and career readiness space, even five years ago when we moved here um, to Charlotte, um, there was a lot less organizations now um, than I think are in that space and a lot less organizations Um there, there have been some that have sort of transitioned their work and mission into sort of the economic mobility space as that's become a focus. And so um, being able to go into conversations, having just been in Charlotte and, and having a funder say, hey, this sounds great, but um, how are you different than organization X or do you know about organization Y? Um, and being able to say, yes, uh, either we've talked to them or yes, I'm familiar with them. Um, they do great work, but here's how we're a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. Gave us um, that foundation that, and I think I think funders, potential funders, appreciate that we had done uh, the research there. Fast forward to uh, 2021, really, um, we actually just did basically another needs assessment, um, or I guess market market analysis um, right. to look at all the organizations that are sort of in the space that we are in and what is our uh, sort of distinguishing value or or unique uh, value proposition within the space. Um, And it's a similar it's a similar process. I think now it's interesting um, and I I appreciate where we are now, because when we first came into the community, I would always have to answer questions about there was always, you know, two or three organizations that I would always get asked about and ask how we're different from. Right. Um, it's, it's a little better now on this side. <laughs> um, <laughs> the organizations have to answer that. Hey, what do you know about Carolina Youth Coalition or how are you working with Carolina Youth Coalition? So um, uh, you see that growth and awareness. You've earned it. You've earned the right not to be the rookie right in the room right. or in the yeah. community. And. And I guess from a tactical perspective, again, I think that's fantastic. You, How literally did you identify the right people to talk to? I'm imagining a listener who's maybe new in their community, starting up something. You, you first, I guess, identified other players in the same educational space. And then did you look at who's funding them? Or tactically, how did you go about kind of the strategic networking that you did? So my my first approach was I I went to everything. Um, so Charlotte has a lot of um, panel discussions, um, roundtables. Um, there's a lot of task force that are getting. <laughs> yeah. So I would I would literally go to everything. Um, I would go to other work. I would go to even like organizations that may not be directly. T- I would go to Habitat for Humanity event, right or 
Um, so my first sort of order of business was like, how do I um, have people become familiar with me and our work in a very short amount of time? which I, I realized pretty quickly, it meant that they had to see me in the spaces where the people they recognized as leaders in the nonprofit sector were seen. Well put. And so it, it wasn't necessarily, um, <laughs> I guess this sounds a little vain, right? But, you know, I go to an event and I there were just always certain people that if I saw there, I just wanted to make sure that, hey, you see me here. We're serious about this um, <laughs> we're, um, sort of I top guess. of mind. Right. Yeah. Um, so that, that was one thing. I, I went to everything um, I went to. And then, you know, I go to an event and I sort of study like, hey, you know, let's say it's a Teach for America event. That's not exactly what we do, but maybe some of these funders on here because they fund Teach for America might also fund other programs within education or other other parts of education. Right. Um, as far as so that that's on the, the funder side. And, and also, I would say we were very blessed. And this is probably where our story is maybe a little bit unique um, because we had the early support from the Albemarle Foundation, who's been our biggest funder to date. It created a dynamic where, um, well, two things. One, um, maybe people listen to us a little differently than they would have any other nonprofit that was just starting up. Um, and also it gave us sort of a seal of approval. Yeah. Right. Um, coming into a new community, um, having gotten support from them to go to others who, um, you know, were not familiar with us, but knew, okay, they have the support from Albemarle. They must be legitimate. Um, we were blessed to sit down with, you know, I learned this from from Catherine, our co-founder, but essentially what what I would do is we would go have a meeting. Let's say um, we had a chance to meet with. I won't name names, but foundation <laughs> leader, foundation leader. Right. And right. so we have a conversation with them. Sometimes we fit within their funding priority. Sometimes we didn't. But the the main ask from those converse those early conversations especially was hey can you give us four or five people that we can go talk to or that you think would be interested in this nice so start to build a rolodex so, so i take those four to five people and then you follow up with them um you go to those four to five and every meeting you literally say hey is there you know two or three names you could give me of someone who you know, might be interested in this work or who do you think I should who I should know in this space? And so eventually you just start to build this this catalog of names and relationships and you start to piece together, you know, who's connected with who and who's supporting one work, what work, et cetera. Um, so I, I think that that networking piece is is critical um, early on. Um, and it's something that even today, I think now that we're somewhat established, like you don't want to get complacent complacent uh, right so try to make time to, to still do that because there's there's a lot of people in our community who still don't know about us um and may be good potential supporters so i'm always i'm always looking for um those few names that i can and, and back to the point about charlotte being a very welcoming community i think folks were very they're probably relieved we didn't ask them for money um it's a lot easier to send <laughs> a few introductory emails than it is to write a check so yeah, exactly uh, 
they were uh, very willing to to do that to help us out to open doors and, and connect us to other people in their networks. So I'm grateful for that as well. I appreciate you detailing your process. I think that's a fantastic question. Almost every time you sit down with someone, maybe that's a good closing question. Hey, is there anybody else I should talk to? Absolutely. You're right. You know, the, the network will pay off and well, clearly it has for you. I would say to um, Patton that I had uh, we had a, a very influential uh, funder tell us very early on in our process and gave us some insight into Charlotte. And so all communities may not be like this, but I'm, I'm sure it's a similar dynamic. Um, he told us that that Charlotte, you know, is a city that um, you sort of have to be signed off on. Yep. And yep. What he meant by that is, um, I don't know if this is this is for the better or not, but um, in order to be taken seriously, um, there's a group of people that you need to at least have a conversation with. Um, that even if they don't support you, can kind of rubber stamp you and say okay hey i think this is legitimate or this is a need yes um, and so you know for especially this is something that maybe some a younger leader may not think about but like the the power and the making the ask for the you know who should we go talk to is you know you might start with the grants manager at a certain foundation you go speak with them and they say hey yeah this is not really in our purview but i think you should talk to x y and z well, the thing is, when you follow up with X, Y and Z, being able to say when you reach out because they're not familiar with you and um, don't know your organization. Uh, the first thing I would do when I reach out is, you know, mention that, hey, we just <laughs> met name we drop, met right? Absolutely. <laughs> name, literally name dropping all the time. I don't even if you have to put their name in the subject line, like connecting through so and so um, that just has a level of uh legitimacy and builds a certain i guess credibility um that not being willing to do that does so um yeah i was i was shameless in, in that <laughs> it was Absolutely. for it was for a good cause your, your shameless behavior was for a good cause and Absolutely. and it's again it's great strategy and again i'm glad our listeners are hearing this one you identified champions of course you were very fortunate having the albemarle foundation a very generous funder who also gave you credibility amongst the funder community. And you've been very intentional about building that network of champions, which in turn leads to more conversations, right? More relationships. Yeah. And uh, well, Eric, did you mention, like many of us in an early stage leadership opportunity, you're just trying to get through the day. Did How long did it take for you to get to like, all right, I'm starting to look ahead more than just tomorrow. <laughs> or are we there yet? <laughs> that whole, when I think about that, especially my first, I would say first probably 16, 18 months, um, I was, it's the phrase, I guess, drinking water through a uh, fire hydrant was what that experience was like. I, right, probably right. Literally every single day I was learning how to do something that I had never done before. Which is very, very difficult and hard to, to keep up. But um, there's there's two, I think, two pieces of this. I would say um, maybe midway through my second year, I started to get comfortable with um, aspects of management and um, just overall handling. I, a big challenge for me early on was scheduling, right? Like, I, I've never had this many meetings before in my life. Right, like, right. Um, handling all of your different priorities. So 
just time management, executive functioning, that whole piece was a, was a challenge. One of the ways that I think I grew and was able to um, sort of transition out of that uh, fight or flight, um, I describe it stage. Uh, and I would encourage anyone to do this if you have the means, if your board or one of your supporters can help you out with this. Um, I actually had a leadership coach for a year um, through nice. Center for Intentional Leadership. They in-kinded uh, one of their um, partners to work with me. Um, and it was it was like a once a month meeting, but um, it was almost basically therapy. It, it wasn't even there wasn't even a lot of sort of tactical <laughs> things, but it was. I was going to ask you what you took away. Was there something you took away from that or was it the therapy that was most valuable? Yeah, there was there was two things. Um, the first was unlearning um, maybe some bad uh, habits right. that I had had previously um, in terms of maybe how to approach the work and, and to do it in a sustainable manner. The second piece um, that we talked a lot about was intentionality. Yeah. And having all of your decisions and actions um, have some tie to, in, um, you know, an intentional direction. And so it, it really gave me more of a, a mindset to like reflect on all of the baggage and scar tissue I was coming into the role with, because that, that impacts, you know, how you respond to different things. Sure. Um, but then it also gave me a framework to think about how to make decisions and how to use my time and how to direct our organization. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that. And that's, a, a, I would say that was instrumental in helping me get through that first year of a uh, year and two, really. Um, halfway through my second year, COVID hit. So then uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, that was right back to, um, trying to figure out the trans, trans those transitions. But I think um, at this point, you know, having gone through COVID and 2020 and 2021, just in general, um, I mean, I think if you can lead, if you've led an organization over the last three, four years, um, there's probably, um, you, you've proven yourself, I think, as a, as a leader. Um, it's yeah. not much you can't handle. Absolutely. It's got to be worth 10 years of experience almost, isn't it, to go Absolutely. through the years you've had to go through. And of course, I'm delighted you lift up the power of coaching. I am a big fan as well. And of course, I see so many nonprofit leaders we work with. It's a lonely world, isn't it, Aaron? Sometimes that, you know, you don't have anybody with which you can reflect on issues or topics. And so yeah, I, I'm glad I think you um, did. I was counseling someone um, who was interested in being a nonprofit leader or, or was stepping into. I think the loneliness is something that is not on your radar at all, but yeah, will yeah. really, very quickly, um, particularly I found, um, you know, you don't, there's, there's things you don't want to discuss with your staff members, right? Right. Right. Uh, there's other things you don't want to discuss with your board. Um, there are, things that I don't want to take home to my wife. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. And so then it, then it becomes like, okay, well, I have to talk about, talk this through with someone. So who, like, who do I find? And so um, another piece of advice that I got um, through that coaching in particular was um, one, um, 
building relationships with other nonprofit leaders that yeah. always helps. Yeah. And and I have sort of a community of folks there, but um, forming almost ba- I have like so we have our board of directors, but I, I feel like I have a growing um, sort of personal board of directors as well. So not necessarily folks who are uh, invested in the success of the organization specifically or in charge of oversight of the organization, but they are invested in Aaron and you, yep. Aaron's wellness and Aaron's development. Um, and so those are, those are folks that, uh, you know, I maybe talk to maybe once a month or once a quarter and can pick their brain or just check in. And, um, that's always good to have that, that body of folks that you can, um, just lean on whenever needed. I could not agree more. I'm a big fan. In fact, started my personal board 15 years ago, I think, and that (laughs) remains a huge asset. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, let me ask you, I got rapid fire for you. Rapid fire, nonprofit leadership questions. Okay. And just would get, want to get your reaction. First of all, how do you stay organized? I know you've got a million things coming at you and I hear this a lot from nonprofit leaders, but I wonder just tactically, how do you manage all the the volume of stuff coming at you? Um, That's a great, I probably could be better. (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't have a so I, I read stories sometimes about other leaders, nonprofit or for profit, and they have a sort of regimen like a you know go to bed at nine eight, nine eight <laughs> right. and I wake right. up at four thirty, and I drink some raw eggs and I go work out. <laughs> I, I don't. I'm, You're I'm, not there yet. You're I'm not, not there. there no. Um, I so the first back to my point earlier is I write everything down. Um, yeah. Yep. I have a, I think I have a really good memory. I have since I was younger. Um, and one of my faults, like as a student, uh, especially was just trying to remember things without writing it. Down. Right. Um, write everything down. I literally on my phone, just in my notes app, just keep a running list of to do's and notes from meetings that I come back to. Um, and then I have sort of a, a you know, a binder not a binder but like a a notebook that i write down everything in um one of the things that's helped me recently that it took me a long time to learn um scheduling it's okay to schedule weeks in advance i used to be very sensitive to that because uh i didn't want to seem like you know i was like too busy yeah right for people so i'm like yeah sure i'll pitch you in next week um now I, if if possible, you know, try to schedule well in advance. And I think that also lets me be more prepared for those meetings rather than just coming into the meeting and I'm coming out of something else and didn't have a chance to look at whatever I was supposed to and don't even remember what the meeting was for kind of thing. So um, I think scheduling in advance definitely helps. Um, I would say, too, on the time management piece, like automating whatever processes you can. So unfortunately, like we have a CRM that there are things that are development related. Um, there are notifications I get that are automated through that. So to nice. stay on time. Um, I would definitely counsel any nonprofit leader, maybe who doesn't have a an executive assistant if you're not working for an organization that large, Calendly. Um, for a yes. scheduling app, yes, it gave me so much time. I I really like I quickly grew tired of 
back and forth of that. You send me some dates and then I send you some dates and then the dates don't work. And then we, so I just have my availability on my Google calendar. And when someone, you know, we want to schedule something, I can easily send it through, through there. Um, so that, that, that's a very small thing, but I think um, that's time, time saved that could be used elsewhere also. Great takeaway. And again, I don't think any of us ever totally arrive in terms of our productivity, but it, it's clear you've been thinking about it and working on it and good for you for protecting your calendar, frankly, in a number of ways, which I think is a great takeaway. Um, all right. The, the the rapid fire questions again, fundraising. You've talked about it. Is there one key takeaway that's helped you in that area or what, as you think about fundraising as a nonprofit leader, what first comes to mind? Think about storytelling. Um, one of the, I mentioned earlier, one of the things that sort of repelled me from fundraising before I knew what it was to lead an organization, I just had this kind of icky feeling about, you know, what I thought it took to raise money. Um, what I've grown to learn and, and actually enjoy um, is really, you know, a lot of the people that I talk to that are potential funders want to support and so it's it's really more about you're helping them find a way to do good in their community to be involved in um in their community and the way that i you know i've, I've gotten pretty good at just storytelling in terms of talking about the need of our organization and, and how um, how we've impacted the young people that we work with so i, I think thinking about it in that way yes uh, in terms of storytelling is um for me at least kind of got me over that initial like yeah i don't want to do fundraising <laughs> the other piece too though that someone told me early on i give um jason uh tarot who was the former uh who's the founder and former executive director of a nonprofit called profound gentleman here in yeah Charlotte. yeah um i spoke to him early on and he was maybe a year or two ahead of me in his nonprofit leadership journey but he said he thought about fundraising as advocacy. And so when I thought about it in that sense, it's really um, how do I get the resources needed for our students to thrive? Yeah. So um, that's a lot of responsibility. Yeah. But also, um, that's a different perspective, though, right? Than the kind absolutely. of the uncomfortable transactional fundraising, I guess, perception I think a lot of people have. Absolutely. Uh, you've talked about talent development, clearly, and and again, love the way you lift up culture as something you look for amongst your your team, uh, potential teammates. Uh, how is your thinking about board development? Has that changed, evolved, or what is your approach to recruiting people to serve on your board? We, we've had a very small board to this point, um, very much a working board. And so at this age in our organization, we're sort of transitioning out of that um, to, to grow the board substantially over the next year. So um, I think for me, I, I look for people that are going to be invested in our work. And so I, we've very much steered clear of company X gave us X number of thousand dollars. So they're going to appoint someone from their company to sit on our board. Exactly. A lot of times that's how you get into a space um, where maybe board members aren't as engaged as they should um, or are not contributing or not fundraising, not giving themselves, et cetera. And so 
Um, I think the process for us finding board members in alignment with our mission and how passionate they are about the work that we're doing kind of mirrors the same for our staff as well in terms of um, there's kind of an intangible element to it um, that you have to identify in terms of are they going to be able to push the mission forward? Yes, um, indeed. And frankly, like, are they going to have the time and capacity to to do the work that we need them to do? That's a big part of it as well. Yeah, great point. And it's not just, I mean, sure, you want them to be philanthropic and supportive, but there's more to it than that. And, and I'm glad you lift that up. And I guess it leads to my final question or kind of category of your leadership. And you've been very effective at this. I guess collaboration. Again, mm -hmm. you're in a space that there are others that serve, I guess, the educational ecosystem mm -hmm. uh, of the youth you serve. But are, are, how do you do that? You know, again, how do you juggle all these other organizations that are in the education space? And again, back to your calendar, are there certain things you found most effective? So in terms of partners, um, particularly speaking about other organizations that are in the college and career readiness or college access space, um, I took the stance, you know, a few years ago that I was going to view them as co-conspirators rather than competitors. And I, I think particularly, this is not specific to Charlotte, I think this is just a philanthropic dynamic. Um, you know, organizations are set up, sort of pitted against one another in terms of competing for resources. And I think a lot of times that creates a dynamic where organizations who could benefit from speaking to and learning from one another um, don't do so, right, because of that competitive element. Exactly. Uh, so I've made an effort to, um, I, I know all of the executive directors, um, some of them very well, speak to them very frequently um, from the organizations that are most similar to us. I'm very open if they have a question about, hey, how do you guys execute this program? Or, hey, do you have a resource for connecting students to uh, this type of help? I'm, I'm open with that because I think it's bigger than our organizations. I think if we're going to, um, do this as a community and improve economic mobility as a community. Um, I know that every I don't have space for every kid that we could possibly serve right now in CYC. Um, and so I would rather other kids who are not in our program be in another program that's the best version of that program possible. And if that right. means I'm sharing our resources or best practices, then um, that's what I would like to do. And um, we're actually a part of a collaborative called the Crescent Coalition um, that's been uh, brought under the umbrella of Leading on Opportunity here in Charlotte that is a group of college and career, ready, career readiness organizations that have committed ourselves to collaboration, sharing of best practices, some shared staff development, and even some um, shared programming as well. So um, I think it's upon the, the nonprofit leaders to resist um, sort of that competitive um dynamic that can sometimes be placed on us yes um, in order to collaborate with others well put love the way you reframed fundraising frankly from you talked about instead of the icky feeling of fundraising it was more advocacy, advocacy. and storytelling right yes we're we're fundamental there and also this yeah it's not a competition these are co-conspirators who are all helping the the community you're trying to serve. So fantastic, Aaron, throughout this conversation. Um, 
any final thoughts for someone thinking about following you on a path to nonprofit leadership? Any other advice? Uh, you've given some great takeaways here, but anything else you might, uh, in summary, share? I would say be prepared to work. Um, I, it's by no mean glamorous, but I, I think just in general, there's no substitute for doing the work. Um, I think back to this might have been my first month or so. Um, we were still under fiscal sponsorship. We just had a little uh, 10 by 10 office and Children and Family Services Center when we were just starting up. And I used to keep all of my to do tasks on uh, sticky notes. I'd have them all over this desk, <laughs> this desk that I had. And um, I remember taking a picture one time and sending it to the executive director at Baton Rouge Youth Coalition. I'm not, I'm not sure if he reached out and said, hey, how are you doing? So I sent him that picture back and uh, he just said, yeah, get used to it. Um, and I think about <laughs> I think about that being just good advice. Yes, yes. As busy as I was then, I'm even more busy now. And that's just that's a part of the responsibility and something that I think you have to be. You have to be comfortable with and, and ready for the reality, isn't it? And and yeah, I'm glad you're not sugarcoating it because it is hard work, but it's important work. And I'm glad you are doing it. Um, one more question. You know, this was coming, but I've asked every guest to share maybe a book that's been meaningful to you. Aaron, on your journey that you might recommend to our listeners? Absolutely. Um, I have two books, if I if I can. <laughs> you got uh, it. The, the first one is, is nonprofit related. So um, there's a book called Driving from the Backseat, um, written by Ronnie. Ronnie. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, I had a chance to meet Ronnie a couple of years ago, and he recommended that to me. Particularly one of, I, and I recommend that book, particularly because one of the things that I you know, heading into this role, I didn't know much about financial statements. Uh, I was new to fundraising. Um, I was new to managing people. But I think managing a board is just a completely different beast. Um, yes, yes. If you are new to nonprofits and have not done that before. And so Ronnie gives some very, um, very tangible advice in, in the book, Driving from the Back Seat. Nice. How to manage the board, um, and ultimately, like ultimately, how to <laughs> how to work the job, and how how not to let the job work you. Yeah, uh, with that. So I, good I way to put it. it. It's an easy read. It's very short. Um, my second recommendation. Um, it's Black History Month, so I, like I'm I'm very passionate about this one particular individual. Um, so if you're looking for someone uh, to read about. That maybe maybe you're not familiar with for Black History Month. Um, there's a book called Before His Time, and it's about um, Harry T. Moore, which was a uh, civil rights activist in Florida. He was actually little little known first civil rights activist uh, to uh, be assassinated um, throughout the, the civil rights movement. This is in wow. the late. Um, but the work that he was doing in Florida um, around voter registration. Uh, and around equal teacher pay, um, I think are things that are still relevant to our society and the conversations we're having today. So um, I always like to lift him up just as a um, an activist and someone that's um, whose work has contributed to making our country a better place. Thanks, Aaron. Fantastic. Both uh, wonderful books to lift up and people to lift up. In fact, Ronnie has been a guest on this podcast 
so mm-hmm. we can link up both his book and his conversation on the podcast. And and certainly both of these books are well worth lifting up. Um, where can people go, Aaron, to find out more about you and the great work you're doing? Absolutely. So our, our website is uh, www.carolinayouth.org. Um, and we have um, very active social media. So we're on Facebook. Uh, just look us up, Carolina Youth Coalition. Uh, and our Twitter and Instagram handles are at Carolina Youth Co. So I would encourage you to follow us and um, see all the great work we're doing. We're celebrating our fifth anniversary right now. So we have uh, a lot of commemorative uh, things we're doing uh, this month to just highlight the work that we've done and celebrate uh, the people who've made that work possible. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for the great work you're doing and for joining me again on the path. All right. Thanks, Pat. And I appreciate it. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Aaron as much as I did and came away with some practical ideas that can guide you on your leadership journey wherever you are with your current organization. Don't forget about the show notes for this episode. It is number 203. Just go to our website, PattonMcDowell.com, to the podcast page, and you can find out more about Aaron, about Carolina Youth Coalition, and other resources he and I discussed. As always, I'd be grateful for a review of this podcast to help others learn more from your experience. And of course, sharing this episode is another great way to spread the word about nonprofit leadership. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to this podcast. Just go to the podcast page at patmcdowell.com and you can find the follow button. And that indeed is what will allow you to subscribe. You won't miss out on any of our weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday. And of course, if you like this one, click on the episodes button at the top of that page and you can scroll through thumbnails of some of our most popular episodes as well as search by topic or guest name. Thanks for all you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now. And keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week. I'll see you next time on The Path.